as if it hurts or anything. When they did mine, I didn't feel a thing. I know that. Well, you like the way I look, don't you? I like you, Val. We're friends. I liked you before the transformation. But you're missing the point. It's like getting a new hairstyle or new clothes or something. You just look better. I'll look like one of those drawings that the Bureau sends over. But they're all beautiful. What's wrong with that? We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. <clears throat> I'm I'm choking, and my name is Paul. And hey, guys, it's Terry here. Yeah, sorry, I just I was so emotional coming into this episode. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation about um, the self improvement of Salvador Ross. Uh, that, that was a, a, uh, interesting discussion. I, I know that you always use that as a thing to attach to our conversations, but considering that neither one of us kind of, we didn't see where that, that episode was going. I, I think the word interesting is a good way to attach, you know, to, to put a pin in that, but, um, yeah. All right. This episode we're going to talk about now, which there's a lot to get into on this one. So, uh, this is the self-improvement of everybody, I guess, just more than Sal- Salvador Ross, right? Um, this is all about improvement. It is number 12 looks just like you season five, episode 17. Uh, but before we get into this episode proper, um, I, I think, I think it's important for us to talk about some news that actually occurred between recordings. We don't really ever get current news about the twilight zone. Cause you know, this, this show is 60 years old. However, um, with, uh, CBS all access turning into paramount plus, uh, and then Paramount Plus doing this big rollout of announcing what was coming next for their streaming content platform. Something that was suspiciously left le- left aside was the Twilight Zone, the Jordan Peele produced Twilight Zone. Um, we come to find out that uh, it's not going forward with a season three at Paramount Plus for streaming. Um, and Terry, I don't know if you saw that the initial story may sound like that Paramount wasn't continuing forward with it, but then other stories kind of suggested that... Uh, uh, Peel and company were kind of okay with the not continuing. I, I heard a little bit of buzz uh, um, after the initial information came out. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of in-depth uh, like in, like info that I could find from the first wave of all of those like people flooding the internet with it. So you're saying that that Peel just kind of stepped away from it as well. It was Peel and it was Simon Kinsberg, the other producer. Like they were kind of at a point of like, they were good with walking away from it. I, I mean, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's like an amicable statement to sound like there's no bad blood between like all parties. I don't really know what happened. It might have been a thing where Paramount wasn't happy with its numbers, uh, you know, the streaming numbers. And then maybe uh, Peel and Kinsberg felt like, you know, we, we got what we wanted out of this, but maybe this isn't exactly. I don't know, like maybe it isn't what they thought they were going to do. Like maybe, maybe the process wasn't, 
as enjoyable as originally thought. Who knows? I, I mean, I, I'm only speculating. I'm not that guy that has inside information because clearly I do not. But it sounds like it was a mutual breakup, and that's still that's still a bummer, though. It really is because I I really enjoyed the second season. I still have not uh, gotten into the first season. I've just been inundated with too much things to do. But man, our our glimpse into what Peel was able to bring to the um, to the name of what Twilight Zone is, I think he did an incredible job. And I'd love to see it continue on with maybe some other, well, maybe even the same writers, and just have some other producers step in and be like, "I got this, hold my beer." Yeah, and because it, it's not like it's not a an idea that can't be picked up because it's anthology, right? It's not like it has to have a continuation of character. Like, and I, I cut you off. I apologize. Um, like you could even have it. Like if, if Peel doesn't want to be associated with the show, like you could find a different narrator. I think that actually might be kind of a cool, like doctor who kind of thing, you know, to who, who is the narrator now? That'd be fun. Yeah. I mean, this isn't the first time it's gotten remade. I mean, Forrest Whitaker, uh, stepped into the shoes in the nineties, right? Yeah. I so. mean, and what's Fred Durst doing? He can make another, uh, intro song for the twilight zone, right? I think that was corn. Oh, whatever. Yeah. It was corn. All right. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Did I get this? Did I get my nineties musics that I don't listen to right now? Confused, but I know, I know. Sorry. I'm about to cause a fight. Sorry. Um, there's a, there's a difference between the two bands clearly. Well, anyways, uh, yeah, I just, I, I, when I saw the article and that the, it was ending, I was like, well, I don't think that's going to be the end of twilight zone. It's just, it's somebody has got to step into the shoes and bring the same kind of, uh, charisma to the, to the, the, to the fold. Because I mean, Peel obviously has a name right now, but he's not going to be the last person that is coming up through the ranks. It has that same kind of appeal, no pun intended, I guess, um, to maybe the viewers and we'll open that door back up to the twilight zone. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, uh, yeah, but it, it's, it is a bummer because one, they brought a high level production to the series and they, and they treated it with respect. Um, one of the first articles I read kind of pissed me off for the guys. Like they're like, like I watched three of the episodes and didn't quite connect with me. And I could see what's like, okay. So you're talking about 20 episodes. You saw three, which I mean, I understand it's a small sample. It's a small episode run, but it's like, you, you can't, I don't know. Like it's the anthology show. You're going to get your ups and downs. Clearly the season two had this ups and downs. Uh, as we're going through the original series, there's ups and downs. Um, I just, I feel like the weird, I think that's a weird thing to kind of hang your hat on be like, well, these three didn't connect with me. It's like, well, did you watch three more? Cause maybe those were the ones that were going to like, you know, like light your brain on fire. I, I think people are so quick to judge things based upon like an initial reaction that they don't give it time. And also, I saw when you posted on your own personal social media, someone had made the comment of like, I didn't even know this show was out there. And it's like, that might've also been part of the problem too. That's unfortunate. It, I think that that was probably the biggest concern for me is I don't feel like there was enough uh, ability to get a hold of it. I mean, creating a, no, a whole nother streaming platform is problematic for people right now because, you know, they're trying to, they have their Netflixes and their, their Hulus and, Maybe they might get a few other things, but when you bring like, I, I think I have eight now, I didn't want to do yeah. another one, but you know, 
so is life. And sometimes the content that you really want, you're going to have to fork up the extra bit of dough. At least, at least Paramount Plus moved in the right direction by adding more as opposed to like collapsing and becoming like even smaller. Like, I mean, now, now there's like 8,000 Star Trek shows coming, which that's great. It's just, okay, well, I, I can see you guys can cut and you found that. Okay. And then look, well, Twilight's are not going on forward with what else are you doing there? Like at least they're like expanding. Um, you know, but you're right that people are kind of getting like streaming service burnout. Uh, cause I mean, let me think, let me think what we have. We have Netflix, Hulu, um, HBO max, uh, uh, Paramount plus I've canceled, uh, not because not out of protest. It's just, I, you know, I wasn't using it and now there's no twilight zone. Um, and I've watched the star Trek cartoon that I wanted to watch. I'm good. Um, and what else is there? Uh, Disney plus, I think I mentioned already. Uh, I, I may or may not be borrowing someone's shutter login information. Um, so yeah, it's getting, it's getting to be a bit much. Oh, and Amazon prime too. Yeah, I, I have so many. I just, it's hard to keep track of them and my phone can't keep all the apps because I've, I've used up all the space on my five-year-old phone <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. for streaming apps. So yeah, yeah I, I don't know. RIP for now, but, uh, hopefully it will get picked back up by somebody. Yeah, and then also that opens the doors for us to to explore. Not that we weren't ever going to explore like current anthology series, but you know, like I think that will also kind of give us a little bit more freedom as we go forward, kind of seeing where we want to go next. Because we may not, we're not at least beholden right now to a watching the clock to see when the next season's coming. So I don't know. It, it's still sad though. The, I think the world's better with more Twilight Zone in it. I mean, clearly we're biased, right? But I wanted I wanted to talk about the actual news of the day is that Twilight Zone is not continuing in its current form at Paramount Plus. Uh, we have covered uh, each episode in the series. Uh, the, the Terry was season two recently. We did that, um, and season one uh, conversations should still be available on our Patreon for free. Uh, you should go on there, Patreon.com/slash/StrangeHighways. Uh, if it's, if it's deactivated again, because I'm not charging money for it, I'll reactivate it. But there's 10 episodes of content there as well. If people dive into it, because, uh, at least from the, the episodes I watched, uh, it gives a very good representation of what Peel is able to do, uh, uh, you know, film wise and that, and I think he's a terrific, uh, talent and that it, it shows. And well, and his ability to bring in like a diverse writer's room too. Like we saw a lot of different voices and I think that's also important. And I think that's the thing that needs to be, um, remembered for any iteration going forward is like, you got to bring that diversity in because then you, you get to see like, I mean, uh, I, it's funny cause I'm talking about diversity and the episode we're about to get into is very much not about diversity on, on it's, it's planned, right? It's on purpose. And I, now I feel like I wish I would have seen an update of this one as well in the, in the run. Um, but you like, I, I, not that I'm saying that like, you know, um, the, the, you know, 40 something year old white guys can't say something new about horror and social commentary, but you know, I think there's, there's more people out there, right? So please bring, bring me more, bring us more. I, I, I want different things to think about than the things that I'm already thinking about because Hey, spoiler, I'm a 40 something year old white guy. And so I kind of, you know, I, I have my guardrails already of what, where I think things are going to go. And if I'm a, if I, if someone brings me a different um, commentary or a different type of horror that I've never considered that has like, um, some, like some sharp edges to it. And it's like, make open my eyes to some social commentary, please bring it to me. Cause this is a great way to kick down the doors and make you think different things. 
Yeah, let's test the limits. Yes, please. Right. So, all right. Uh, yeah. So that's that's uh, that's your current news for the news segment here on the show. I don't know how many of those we'll have, uh, but let's get it. Let's get into this now. Uh, number twelve looks like looks just like you. Season five, episode seventeen. Uh, air date was January twenty fourth, nineteen sixty four. Um, oh crap! I forgot to do day and date on this. So look, see, I was so distraught about everything. I forgot to look at what happened. I'm going to guess that, uh, like the number one song was that, that song we talked about before. What was it? Um, the Bobby, not Bobby Darren, whatever it was the, there I said it again. I'm going to guess the sword in the stone was the number one film. And then I'm going to guess, you know, something in space happened. I'm sorry, guys. I've, I, 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 I usually uh, do a pretty good job of figuring out day and date. And I, uh, I dropped, dropped the ball here. Well, I do have something. Um, thank you for day, saving me at the day prior, uh, the 23rd, 1964, uh, uh, we had Mariska Hargitay, uh, was born the, uh, the amazing actress who plays, uh, in, uh, SVU. Yes. So, so uh, she's an incredible actress, uh, golden globe winner. Uh, yeah. If you don't watch SVU, you have been living under a rock. That's one of my favorite shows of all time. So happy birthday to her. Yeah, I think we talked about her, uh, co-star, uh, Christopher Maloney in an episode of the twilight zone that we covered for season two of the new stuff. Right. So, um, and yeah, yeah, I was right. Number one film was sword in the stone. <laughs> let's see if I was right about the song. Uh, let's see here. Uh, number one songs, 1964, right? Here we go. Come on Wikipedia, real live radio here. Um, January 24th there. I said it again by Bobby Venton. I was right about both. All right. Look at me. He predicted the past. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, but I, but, but Terry, I have not predicted the future of electronic baseball or super soccer why can't we have those those both sound amazing we'll talk super about soccer that. i really wanted to know what <laughs> i don't that know what was. that is yeah. electronic baseball made me think of like a handheld tiger game like you know like the the little liquid crystal display ones where it's like it's electronic baseball um it's on espn 15 yeah so right you get to watch that people play video games <laughs> yes like, well we kind of have that now <laughs> well, yeah yeah right like but it would be great it's like i got a live stream of this electronic football game like you just hear the beeps anyway so uh so yeah that's your day and date uh all right let's just get into cast and crew here all right so leading off here we're gonna do our director is uh abner uh biberman yeah biberman that sounds sure looks right um he did uh three other episodes of twilight zone the dummy uh the incredible world of horace ford which is not good um and one to come we got another episode that's coming soon. Yeah, the dummy's a great episode. Uh, that's from season three. It was one of the it was one of the ones of the second half of the season. We we had hit a skid of some kind of not great episodes, and this one just kind of came out swinging. And it's a wonderful episode. So, uh, you know, like I, I so far I, we have not seen this fourth episode. I, at least at least uh, Abner uh, uh, um, Biberman will will at least come out fifty uh, fifty. I will say so far. We'll see how the last one lands. Yeah, and the only other credit I had for him is he did an episode of The Outer Limits. So Yeah. So. Uh, and our writers, we have two credits for writers on this, and uh, I, there's a good reason for that. Um, so uh, Charles Balmont, uh, the, the the staple, like that. when you think about Twilight Zone, you have to mention this man's name because he brought so many memorable episodes to, to viewers. Um, I will not name all of them, but uh, <laughs> he did Elegy, uh, The Jungle, miniature was which is one of my personal favorites and the uh, uh, the exhibit both the miniature and the new exhibit are terrific four season episodes dive into those if you have a chance people there are awesome 
Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring up the new exhibit uh, because, like, as you're right, Beaumont is like if you put up the Rushmore of the Twilight Zone, he's firmly second place behind Serling. He he has the most the second most output. Um, and yeah, the jungle's great. Shadow play, I think is one of his as well. Elegy is one of the, the best episodes of the series. Um, the new exhibit was, it was credited to him, but I think we talked about it in season four that he just kind of picked up the phone and talked to the guy and was like, Hey, wouldn't it just be kind of cool? If, like some statues, kill people. And the guy's like, I'll write it. So, cause at this point we learn, and we're going to talk about it again at the end, Beaumont at this point, he was, he was rapidly, um, just, his health was failing at this point. And there was a lot of times where he would sell work, um, and then just call people up to be like, Hey, you know, I got the money. I'll give you 50, 50. Can you write this? Um, and this is one of those. So, and I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad that he was able to still have some kind of, um, you know, storylines that fit into the fifth season because, he has been. He has had something in each one of the seasons of the show. So Which that's incredible to see it still was gone. Yeah, and so with this one, it's actually he actually wrote the short story that this is based upon called "The Beautiful People." So it isn't like this is like a complete, like um, just him calling up somebody and being like, "Here, just write this." He had written the story, uh, and then so um, so Beaumont gets the top credit here, even though he didn't actually do anything for the episode itself. Uh, this was written by uh, John Tomerlin who was the one that actually just wrote the screenplay for this. So uh, he adapted the short story. We, um, we talked about him a little bit before I believe, because he actually, um, I want to say he was the one that pitched the idea for a certain kind of stopwatch or whatever, a kind of stopwatch that got picked up. So it was his idea that was bought, but he didn't write that one. So then when he already had his foot in the door with, um, twilight zone, he's like, Hey, what if I adapt the story? And they gave him the go ahead. Yeah, and it's uh, outside of what you've mentioned there. Um, I really didn't know any other credits for this gentleman. And well, that there's a reason for that. So, but yeah, that's about it. So this is it's weird that Tomlin pitched the idea for a kind of stopwatch, and it got picked up. And you know, so he got credit for the idea. He didn't write the episode, and this one, he um, didn't write the story, but wrote the teleplay. So, whatever. I mean, uh, I think this is actually a really good teleplay. So, uh, credit where credits do. All right, so uh, on to our cast we go. Um, now, this casting is very unusual, and if you have not <laughs> seen this episode, folks, d- I, bear with us. We're going to try to encapsulate everything as best as we can for the people that really haven't dove into Like, I really honestly, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you need to watch the show, too, please. Like, for <laughs> God's sake. Like, this is definitely one of those situations. It's hard to explain to somebody what's going on in this episode. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. And I'm not laughing. I, like I, you're right. Like this is going to be one when we get into the cast list together. There's like, there's like five actors in this episode, but there's like 87 parts. That's not, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but not by much. Uh, Cause there's a lot of uh, doubling and you, we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, like I, there's a lot of podcasts listen to that talk about a lot of different types of media that I don't necessarily dig into. Uh, because I feel like the conversation that people have, like they do a good job of like letting me know what, what the whole thing is and how they feel about it. Terry's absolutely right. This one's going to get a little confusing as we talk because there's, there's points where actors are playing different characters, but they look exactly the same and it's going to get a little weird. Uh, so I did my best in my notes when we get to talking about the episode proper of just mentioning the characters names 
So that way, we're, so we're not trying, because I know sometimes they get in the habit of mentioning the actor versus the character. That would be, that would be the ultimate like uh, trap for me to fall into. It'd be like, oh yeah, hey, you know, that um, was it Richard Long, that guy. Like he's five people in this episode. Yeah, I think it would just melt people's brain if we just kept on like going back and forth like that. So if anybody has seen the Eddie Murphy Nutty Professor film and how he took on multiple roles for that film, that might be the best like way to describe what happens in this episode because some of these uh, actors are taking on multiple roles. I, I, I but feel they like are more different like people. Michael Keaton's film Multiplicity would be a better way to describe this because they, yeah, they all look the same and they all call each other by numbers. That, that's that's fair. That's that's actually a lot more uh, of, a, of a comparison than I've made. So so, anyways, here we go. Yes. Uh, Colin uh, Wilcox Paxton. She plays Marilyn in this episode. Um, she was uh, also in To Kill a Mockingbird, and she was in Jaws two. Yeah, I was reading about her, and I didn't get I didn't write all the notes out because clearly I, I failed at day and date, and I didn't do everything here. Uh, the role she was cast in To Kill a Mockingbird was the one where she accused a person of color of rape, and it like was like the the, the big spark in that the movie, right? So then she was actually like a big supporter of civil rights, and she would go to like different like like uh, like events, and like people were like, "Get her out of here!" And like people had to, like some people would say like. She's an actress. She's not that person from the movie that you guys know. She, she wants to help. So think about that for a second where she's just like, no, 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 no. Everybody should have equal rights. Yeah, but you played a character that really screwed over some people. We can't have you here right now. Some people are just so stupid. <laughs> well, I mean, just, I just, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like you're, you're, you see a face, you know, in passing in a movie and you see that person in real life, like you're, you might, you're, you might get like that, like the gut reaction of like, I don't like her, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever. But it's like, that had to be, that had to be some rough business, right. To be like, I'm here to help. It's like, no, you didn't help that one guy. Well, that was a movie. Huh. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's hard for people to disassociate those two things, but, um, but yeah, uh, next we have Richard Long. He carries a lot of roles in this. So he plays uncle Rick, Dr. Rex, Professor Sigmund Friend, friend, <laughs> yeah, uh, and he also plays Tom. Um, so one other episode of Twilight Zone, uh, person or persons unknown. Yeah, which has uh, one of the most amazing sudden somebody's jumping through a window, like just yeah. out of nowhere. It's amazing. Uh, but yeah, he, uh, he actually, where do I have it? Having the trivia here. Cause I, this is something I think I brought up at that time talking about persons or persons unknown, which is also interesting. He, that's an episode in which he wakes up and no one knows who he is. Like he wakes up one day and he's like, his wife doesn't know who he is. And it's like, he's just lost his identity. So he's trying to assert people that he is who he is. Interesting. He's in this, it's kind of a, a, a nice bookend in terms of his character work. So you'll appreciate this, Terry. There, he has, um, he is the connective tissue here through Strange Highways. Uh, one of the characters played by Richard Long is a doctor named Rex. Uh, at the time that this episode originally aired, Long was most famous for having played Detective Rex Randolph for one season each on a sister program called Bourbon Street Beat, 77 of Sunset Strip, as well as a single episode of their companion series, Hawaiian Eye, Swan Song for a Hero was the name of like the, the episode. Nice. Um, I recognized him. His face was so, um, like I knew him from something. I was like, where the hell is this guy from? 
and he was in house on Haunted Hill, the original Vincent Price. Oh, film. nice. So yeah, yeah. I just like I like that he had he already was in the connected universe of all the like these detective shows and Hawaiian Eye, and now it's, it's just uh, everything comes back right to Twilight Zone, Hawaiian Eye. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm glad that we were able to make a connection again. So um, so next we have Pamela Austin. Uh, she plays Valerie as well as Marilyn. So that's going to get confusing later, but you'll see in the end, people. Um, but the uh, only credit I had for her was Hawaiian Eye, one episode. Yeah, so um, it, I feel bad because our lead, we don't have much for her, right? It's for Call Wilcox Paxton. But then we get to uh, Pamela Austin and then Susie Parker. And oh my gosh, they have more that was going on in terms of like, they, they have a lot that happened. Susie Parker, way more. But so Pamela Austin, she gained fame for a long series of popular automobile television commercials and print ads for uh, for Dodge, the Charger, the Coronet, and the Polara. I didn't know there was such thing as a Dodge Polara. Um, as the perky Dodge Rebellion girl, she appeared in around 20 commercials as a damsel in distress, uh, menaced, menaced by sharks. I don't know what that has to do with cars. Falling from a drawbridge, a roof, a cargo plane, uh, her tagline at the end of each ad was the Dodge rebellion wants you like does a cargo launching off the cliff to save her and attack sharks. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so the ad series led to her being in a lot of like film and television by 1968 Dodge executives felt that Austin's popularity was overshadowing the cars and began a new Dodge fever campaign with a different model. So, she got so popular because of Dodge, and then Dodge is like, no, people recognize her more. Let's cut her out of the picture. Maybe have her eaten by some sharks. That's that's incredible. They, the way you're describing these episodes, it sounds like the uh, those insurance commercials where the guy's like always like falling on top of the car and everything. <laughs> yeah, it's like mayhem. <laughs> it's like, what's his yeah. name? Like, yeah, that, I forget that actor's name, but it's, yeah. I like the idea. It's like, the Dodge Rebellion wants you. She just like hits the hood of a car falling off a cliff. <laughs> like, no. Uh, but yeah, she like she had she was popular. It's one of those things where, you know, they created this thing, and it's like, oh well, maybe maybe she's the reason. And it's like, I don't know. Um, there's a lot of, uh, um, you know, people that are associated with ad campaigns or actors or actresses that like people immediately recognize them, and it gives it like immediate name recognition for the brand. And I think that ad executives have learned you keep chasing that, right? So whatever. She had success as the Dodger Girl for a while. Yeah, and she's still kicking too. She's uh, she uh, hasn't acted since the '80s, but she's still around. Yeah, so. probably just you know uh, angry at Dodge. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, maybe I they should know. pick her back up for the commercials. <laughs> yeah. Increase their sales a little bit. Yeah, uh-uh. yeah. Just have this elderly woman in danger, <laughs> <laughs> being chased by sharks. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, what yeah, yeah. Just have her. Just you. Just have her like to slowly cross in the street with like her shopping cart, and she just gets annihilated by a charger. Like what? No. <laughs> like just oh, no. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah. So, uh, next here we have uh, Susie Parker. Um, she plays uh, Lana, Grace, Eva, Doe, Jane, and she plays the number twelve girl in one of the photos. Yeah. Um, the only other credit I had for her was she was in an episode of Night Gallery. Okay, so this this is you're gonna you're gonna find this interesting. Um, uh, she she is five foot ten, um, which is really tall for you know. Um, well, I mean. I, usually, you know, for, for a female, that's tall. Like I'm not like, I, I maybe, maybe now that's, maybe that's not 
um, tall, considered tall, but back in, you know, 60. Taller than me still. <laughs> okay, there you go. Uh, so she can dunk on Terry. Anyway, so, um, so when she was about 15, uh, her sister, Dorian, uh, telephoned the Ford modeling agency and told um, the the people there that she would sign on with them if they also took her younger sister, a Susie, at the time, because uh, Dorian was um, just like the the you know in big demand to be a model. And actually, like I think all the sisters of this family were were models in some fashion or another. Uh, so they they agreed to sign uh, Dorian because they they're going to take Susie on as well. Uh, uh, so. Th- Expecting to meet a similar, similarly petite, extremely thin, flawless, pale-faced, electric, blue-eyed, raven-haired, younger version of Dorian, they were shocked to meet Susie for the first time. She was already 5'10", big-boned, that's Wikipedia's statement, uh, had carrot red hair, pale green eyes, and freckles. So, no, that that's like... um. That's like the, 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 it's not quite the twins of like Schwarzenegger and DeVito, but I would like to have been in that room where they're like, who is this? You know, anyway. Um, so she would go on to become more famous than her sister. She was the first model to earn uh, $200 per hour and $100,000 per year. Uh, Vogue declared her one of the faces of the, the confident post-war American woman. Uh, she ended up being signed by like a lot of big names like Coco Chanel and all the other stuff. Uh, and you did mention her last on-screen role was Night Gallery. Um, so here's the other big thing too. <clears throat> um, she did make one other appearance, uh, technically in the Beatles 70, 1970 documentary, let it be in which the band performed their song, Susie Parker, the song, one of the few credits written by all four Beatles was part of the Academy award winning score, uh, of, for the original songs performed in that film. So, and let it be that film. They sang a song about her that won an Oscar. And she was like, uh, she was like the, the it girl for modeling there for quite a while. That's incredible, man. I had no idea about that. Huh. Yeah. So I, here, I, here, I'll, I'll, let me get into them. I'll ruin a little bit of this here before we get into the episode proper. William Frog producer on this, which I've been giving him a lot of shit. This one, actually this, this episode's quite great. I'm going to tip my hand here. Um, he, so, um, this is what Frog had to say about her. Susie Parker at the time was the most famous model in the country. Uh, she was the superstar of models. She wasn't much of an actress. We'll talk about that. But she was gorgeous to look at. It was my notion that if you were ever going to do a show about everyone looking as beautiful as possible, to use her. So I don't think he was wrong. I think his wording and approach to that was terrible, but whatever. Yeah, she was a very uh, beautiful woman. Um, unfortunately, she's not with us anymore. She died in. 2003 but yeah it's a hell of a, a resume already at that point though like um yeah yeah so I, i've never seen her in anything else so well there's a reason for that i mean other than print ads and you know modeling which you know um but yeah anyway so that that's your cast and crew of uh four people and ten thousand parts so yeah let's just uh let's just um, let mr Sterling get take it away and we'll get into uh number 12 looks just like you Given the chance, what young girl wouldn't happily exchange a plain face for a lovely one? What girl could refuse the opportunity to be beautiful? For want of a better estimate, let's call it the year 2000. At any rate, imagine a time in the future when science has developed the means of giving everyone the face and body he dreams of. It may not happen tomorrow, but it happens now in the Twilight Zone. All right, uh, Terry, uh, take us away here. We're like the let's let's talk about this opening shot, which is one of the more interesting things I think I've seen in the Twilight Zone in a while. 
So we opened to Lana uh, and Marilyn. Marilyn uh, is the daughter of Lana, and they're they're sitting on the couch, and they're you know Lana's looking at these two pictures of of two women. One is labeled number eight, the other is labeled number twelve, and she's saying, "Well, you know, I'm not sure which one we should go with here." Uh, what do you think? And we pan over to Marilyn, who doesn't seem to care. All she's doing is looking into a photo album. And uh, we come to find out through this little exchange here that we're picking out a new form for Marilyn. But she is she's not interested in it. In this new day and age, you're able to pick your new appearance. Uh, the, the technology is, is so far advanced you can change your entire body. Lana has already gone through with it and it seems like it's just the norm. Yeah. The expectation is like when you hit what 18, 19, you go through this transformation, you pick one of however many number of, you know, uh, pre agreed to, uh, looks, right. It's almost like picking like a character profile in a video game where you just roll through and be like, I want that body. And so, yeah, the eight and 12 that you see, uh, the 12 is the figure of Lana. Lana is a 12. Um, I would argue that, you know, Susie Parker is a 12 in real life, but whatever, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so, uh, Lana's a 12. And then, um, we're going to find out soon that the eight that you see is also, uh, one of Marilyn's friends. She chose an eight, um, for her transformation. So th- this is like, this is really confusing, but so, but yeah, you can see with like, Marilyn, she just, you know, she's looking through this like, you know, photo album and she ends up like making like the comment like about like, uh, I was looking at old pictures of you talking to her mother, Lana. And, um, and then you see a picture of, of Lana when she's younger, which looks, I mean, I think it's just a picture of Marilyn that they did a different hairdo on, which is fine. Uh, but, but Lana's like, yeah, like basically like that was me, but I'm much more beautiful now. And Marilyn's like, like she doesn't, she doesn't agree. Right. Like you can tell that Marilyn's indecisive. And she's having this real big conflict that we'll find out like the expanse of it here soon. Um, but then, yeah, it's just this, this whole thing where like Lana just keeps kind of like, you know, have you ever run these people where it doesn't matter what your concern or caution is? They're so dead set in their belief that they're going to smile and nod their head at you. And until you, until you give in to what they want to have happen. Like, that's what she feels like to me, like a convert. Lana is definitely a lot more abrasive about this than Marilyn's able to take on. Yeah. I mean, this this is her mother, and she's supposed to have some kind of ability to ease her into this, you would hope. But, no, she seems like like a, almost like a drug dealer at this point. Like, no, no your life is going to be so much better after you make the change. You know? And she knows... Lana, Lana knows that this is the norm. People are doing it. So you should be part of the in, in group. Otherwise, you're just going to keep on looking like you. Which, and it, it, there's also that line. Yeah. There's also that line that Marilyn says, like, do I look homely? Like, <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, that's kind of a weird statement to be hearing. Like, she's not she's not an ugly girl. But the way that Lana is approaching this is, well, she's not beautiful, so she may as well go through the change. <laughs> yeah, like I think I think um, uh, Marilyn, she's she's quite fine for what you know. Like she is who she is, and like you know, I'm not I'm not going to make like you know a value judgment. It's like you know, I, I so the counter 
the counterpiece to this episode would be um, Eye of the Beholder, uh, in which we had um, the Pignose people trying to uh, uh, like do surgery on our main character to to make her look like them, to make her look like a pig person, and that she turns out to be, you know, um, oh shit, uh, Ellie Mae from. Uh, the uh, Beverly Hillbillies. And it's like, they're like, Oh, she's atrocious. <laughs> like it's the same thing. Right. So with this, it's like, Oh no, it's okay. We have this process. It'll be fine. She's like, but can I just be me? They're like, well, yeah, but, but, but no, you know? So, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. Also, Lana feels like to me, she feels like, and I've not watched any of these shows because I have a soul like those, uh, dance moms or those beauty pageant mom shows where like they're going to force their daughter to do the thing because it's the thing that they want to do. Right. Yeah. And they, they've been raised in that, that same format as well. Like yeah. I was a pageant uh, girl back in my day and now you have to like uh, drop dead gorgeous. You know? <laughs> yes. It's coming back around. <laughs> wonderful call. Like, wonderful call out. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, at this point that we get, we, we get a little bit more of a better picture of this year, 2000, which like, also I do love that Sterling's like, let's, let's just call it the year 2000. I'm like, cool. I like, he's just like, eh, it's the future, which this is more of a morality tale, I think. And I love, I, this is, and I, and I apologize. We won't drag the episode longer than it probably needs to be here, but this is the kind of Twilight Zone sci-fi that I dig where it's like you're in this like quote like this quote unquote like utopian society, which it clearly is not. And they're getting to more of like the ethical and moral ideas. Th- this is a pretty big swing in terms of the story they're trying to tell. And I like that Sterling's like, let's just call it 2000. Like he doesn't have to. He's just saying it's it's the near future. And I dig that he didn't really put a pin on it. I think that works best. I, it really does. I mean, not like uh, stamping down. This is the time. This is the date. I mean, cause that's what we got from our, our, just our prior episode. Uh, the long um, morrow. Yeah. Where they put like times and times and dates. Right. Yeah. So, um, it works more of an, an ambiguous, uh, window. Um, <laughs> it, it's better than escape from New York where it's like 1996 now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that movie, but you know, it just it feels funny now to see that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Once you you've gotten past that date, you're like, well, we don't have that technology yet, and uh, we're, I guess we're not too far. <laughs> I like the idea. It's like, well, New York didn't fall in disarray, but it did get an M and M store. But yeah. So yeah, it, Lana is still trying desperately to convince uh, Marilyn this is the way. Whatever. Um, you're you're going to be part of the in crowd. Um, so she doesn't have too much more to say to her mother about this. And uh, all of a sudden we have the, um, I guess you would call her the maid come in. Well, because, or the- well, because Marilyn like, calls for the maid, which we'll talk about that here in a second. <laughs> Marilyn immediately like, dismisses Lana. Sorry, Lana dismisses Marilyn. Lana's the mother, I'm sorry. Uh, and Lana's like, you know what you need? You need, a, you need a glass of instant smile. Oh yeah. I forgot about this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important because this also shows another aspect of the society where it's like, there's these mood enhancers that are like immediate. Right. And she's like, I, we need some instant smile. So she calls the maiden, which I, I wrote here. Instant smile was what they would refer to as for loco, That I don't know what that means, but that's what I wrote in my notes. <laughs> yeah. I, I put, yeah. I was just like instant smile wink. And you know, it's like, <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a just, gin and tonic. <laughs> yeah, it's the smile. Yeah, um, you know, alcohols, right? But anyway, so it's like, isn't it's eleven in the morning? Is it too early for instant smile? No, it's instant smile o'clock. Uh, so they bring the maid in, and the maid who is named Grace. She is also taken the form of a number 12. So she looks exactly like Lana. And I just, did you catch the point where um, the, the maid named Grace refers to Lana by her last name? And Lana's like, I don't, I told you to call me Lana. And then she said something about like, she refers to the maid as you people. And I want to have been like, um, you're, it's, you look exactly like her. So where's the you people thing coming from? Yeah. It's like, no matter so that's the part that is kind of aggravating here because it's like you said, it's like this, this almost like utopian t- style um, time where like people are looking the same. They have this ability to change their looks and get happy and have a uniform society, but there's still this hierarchy. Like there's, there's, there's the, still haves and have nots. Yeah. Right. And that's what we're hearing in this statement. It's like, well, that's still kind of shitty. And it's like, I don't know, but you know the uh, the maid still has a, a a smile on her face because she probably did a couple shots of the instant smile to get through her day. A couple of rails of instant smile, whatever. Anyway, so yeah, <laughs> um, um, yeah. So then uh, I just also I, I read my notes here uh, in the year two thousand. Uh, do you do you remember the Conan O'Brien bit called in the year two thousand? Do you remember that at all? No, I, I never really caught his show. Oh, I'll have, to, I'll have to put a video on on our on our Facebook page because he and Andy. Uh, would uh, put on like these black uh, like capes and put a, like a flashlight under their face and do this future prediction of in the year 2000 when the show was in the 90s. And then after they hit the year 2000, they still kind of did it. And it's really funny because they would just make predictions about the year 2000. I feel like, you know, this every time I heard this stuff, I was I would always think of in the year 2000. So I think this this episode wouldn't be too far off from them being like in the year 2000, there'll be instant smile, you know, type of thing. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. But uh, yeah, so one one little note that I would have to give a viewer here. Um, if you're going to dive into this episode, remember to look at name tags because they are on every <laughs> single person. <laughs> No, I, yeah. Thank Christ that there was uh, there's name tags because otherwise you'd be like, I don't know. There's just hot people all over the place. That's you know what? It, what is the society? I don't understand what's going on here. Uh, so yeah, thank goodness everybody got labeled right. Like like they all wore a name tag on the front. It's like almost you feel like um, either they should have had like hello, my name is and like a little like sticker on them. Um, or, or as I was growing up when I was like a, a real little kid and they would have make sure that we all got on the right bus, they uh, would make us wear, <laughs> they'd make us wear like a plastic coffee can lid with our name and our bus number to make sure we got on the right bus. Like I just, just give me that. I'll be okay. Yep. My, my wife, uh, she, she has such a large family at one of her family reunions. They had to have color codes for which part of the family they came from. Oh no. A, yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, um, yeah, they had a little color-coded name tags for each one of them just so they could differentiate which part of the family. I was like, that is wild. Yeah, like, <laughs> like what, what happened? Like, did somebody come over with, like, offering a hamburger? And they're like, oh, you know I'm a vegetarian. Like, why do we even let you people here? Like, did that happen? Was there, like, a social divide amongst the family with the color name tags? That would be amazing. That That's some off-mic <laughs> <laughs> material. <laughs> 
Oh, I was hoping you'd say that her family was so big, everybody had like a, like a coffee can plastic lid with like their name and their family number. That would have been great. All right. So anyway, <laughs> so, so yeah, the instant smile shows up, but then like, what was it? Um, we ended up getting like that cuts to, uh, the next bit where we have, uh, Marilyn just reading, uh, looking through another like book or another photo album. Right. And that's when we meet, um, uncle Rick. Yeah. All right. So uncle Rick comes into the room, um, Marilyn's just hanging out. He he sneaks up behind her. I have to ask: In the future, would you want a cape? I mean, like seriously, because this dude has this cape, and I'm like, is he trying to be Count Dracula? I don't know what's going on with the cape. No one else is wearing capes. I, it's the, well, okay, it's the future, and also since since we get like and credit to uh, Richard Long playing like at least um, three different distinct personalities at, like as himself right uh-huh. as the actor because we find out that his model number is what a 17 um he had to do something with each of them to be different and i think from a costuming standpoint it's like yeah we'll give uncle rick a cape I yeah think that's, so, uh, yeah count count rick <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, I mean, he I, is... like, i'm just saying why haven't capes come back into fashion now we're 21 years past this point come on wouldn't, wouldn't you, wouldn't like, come on, Terry, you love horror movies. Wouldn't you be like, hey, guys, it's, we're going to have a night out in the town. I got to, I got to get my going out cape. See, I've watched The Incredibles. I know you're not supposed to have a cape. Well, yeah, that's but just, we can't fly in the sky and be sucked into turbines. I get it, you know, but like, you know, like, it'd be like, oh, this is my, this is my business casual cape. And this is my going out cape. And this is, you know, like, this is my wedding cape. My wedding cape, yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, why did work? Hey, come on. You know, I was at your. Where was the wedding cape at? Like, I was at your wedding. I didn't see a wedding cape. I left it in my other pants. I don't. <laughs> but, wait, wait. <laughs> don't but didn't, didn't you and your wife take photos outside of like a hearse? We did. Yes. But we where did. where was your cape? Uh, I, <laughs> I guess I. I guess I dropped the ball on that. Or I dropped the cape in this point. Oh, this episode's getting too real. I'm sorry. But anyway, Uncle Rick has a cape and goes up. I also like that he does like the guess who thing where he puts his hands over her eyes. It's like, I don't know, without name tags, you could be anybody. This is very true. I mean, that that, that is like probably the worst but best joke in this entire episode because if, he, if he's a model 17, he looks like a lot of other dudes. So he really could, they could have had some rando guy come in and sneak up on her so but yeah so it's uncle rick though so uncle rick <laughs> it's, surprises like, oh, her. it's uncle cape oh, oh good i'm glad you wore the cape that's why i know all right anyway but yeah. you know he actually like legitimately seems to care about his niece um like i think he's the only person in this episode that actually kind of like cares even though his his judgment of her is still kind of misguided he rick actually cares about his niece and then we find out there um that her father, uh, who also picked a 17 body transformation. So, so <laughs> that'd be weird too, by the way. It's like, Hey, we're brothers, right? We look exactly the same now. All right. Well, that's weird. Um, so, but he, she says to him and I, I'm, I'm, I'm writing this down. I misquoted it probably where, um, he was trying to like make her feel better about the transformation. And she says, if you look like everybody else, isn't that the same as being a nobody, which I think is like, that is the, the, the big statement of this episode. I I'm glad that they put that kind of commentary into this because it is, it, it, it shows a flaw in, in the idea that 
when you make everybody the same, then it takes away individuality. Then what also takes away the idea that somebody is special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's the whole thing of like you know, um, you know, it just if, if I don't know, it's the whole thing of like fitting in, but then you also kind of erase your identity, which we'll get to that at the end here. But then you get also Rick being like. Like what? Like what's going on here? Like you know, it's like don't you like? Basically, he's trying to say like society's still pretty great. We get you know, we get to choose our clothes and things we talk about, and that's you know, I played this earlier, but that's when when Marilyn's like, I want to talk about more than electronic baseball or super soccer, which I'd still need to see super soccer. That'd be amazing. Um, but don't like doesn't that statement kind of doesn't that kind of burn you more now in 2021 where it's like people could have plenty of conversations about nothing and they ignore it's easy to be comfortable and ignore like, Hey, by the way, we're a society of everybody being the same. Doesn't that trouble you? No, we have super soccer and instant smile. That is a good point. I mean, you can take this to a higher uh, train of thought where it's like, we're all being confused. We're trying to, you know, keep our eye on the bouncing ball, but forget all of the, the crazy shit that's going on around us and just kind of forget that there are bigger problems, bigger than what we got going on in our lives. So I, I, I think it, it gives you a, a bigger glimpse, I guess. I think that's a valid point to bring up. Yeah. So they have that conversation. And then I think Rick calls her a very sick girl because, uh, you know, her, her thought process is like, she, she's like asking big questions and like, no one really wants to answer her. And, um, that is that is alarming and it gets worse, right? So like she's the one that's like she's not trying to challenge the system. She just wants to be her, right? And it's like I, she's not asking for the collapse of society. It's just that she wants to it's like you you get the notion she's like like I like me. Is that not good enough? And everyone's like, "Well, it is, but you need to go through the transformation." Like it's like this is probably and I'm going to tip my hand here, one of the most heartbreaking episodes of the Twilight Zone. Well, and it's, it becomes a little bit more clear, um, and even one of the statements later, it's like, she she's okay with herself, she's happy being herself, but then it it's more or less the, the idea that, well, but no one else is happy with you, so why, why don't you go ahead and change yourself, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know? It's, yeah. Like, it'd be, you know, it's like, oh, I'm glad you're happy with yourself, but it'd be pretty great, right, if you could just change. So anyway, uh, so then, uh, this is when we get the interaction with, um, with Marilyn and Val, I just want to point out that as like uh, Val comes over, who is a number eight, which we saw the number eight model earlier in the episode with the eight and 12 comparisons. Um, Val, who is one of Marilyn's childhood friends who went through the, the transformation already, but before they have their conversation, which is telling Lana was like, Oh, hi, hi Val. I'm due a culture class. So she has to leave for like, you know what? Like um, patriotic education or whatever you would call it. Like that's also very telling. And she does the same thing to her, uh, where she's addressed by, uh, Mrs. So-and-so or whatever her last name was. And she's like, call me, you know, call me Lana. Well, cause um, we find out, we find out later that like, um, uh, last names don't mean a whole lot in the society of, uh, whatever is going on with the marriages here. We'll talk about that later. It is crazy. Yeah. There's some, something to unpack there. Like how many, hyphens, I, I, how many hyphens do you think her last name actually has? I think it's a lot. Yeah. True. Um, but like, I, I've kind of come to formulate this idea that this is almost like an intervention, like just the stages of how we're, 
not only have we had Lana talking to uh, Marilyn, then we had Uncle Rick. Now we got Val. And I'm sure that, you know, Lana was leaning into Marilyn about everything right before Val came into the scene. But my note was, here we got the next scene. Val comes in to hang out with uh, with Marilyn and give her shit, too. <laughs> yeah, because, like, but you also get the notion, too, that, like, Marilyn is, she's she's kind of hip to the game of where um, she's like, Val, I like you for you, which I played at the beginning of the episode. She's like, I liked you before the transformation. And then Val's like, but, you know, like, wouldn't you want to do this? And it's like, well, how do you feel? And Val's like, I feel great all the time. It's like, like, um... I don't know. It's almost, uh, it's like that bit sometimes where you, you, you were friends growing up, but then like you end up at different cliques in high school and it's like, it's like, you still say you're friends, but you're not talking the same language. Yeah. I, and I think I've, I've met people like this where there's huge differences in your lifestyle from theirs. But when you ask them about what's going on, like everything's hunky dory. I always got a smile on my face and it's, but there's something, there's some, there's a, you know, like a crack in the veneer and you just, you can't, you can't notice it yet. But yeah. It, so, but yeah, she's giving her crap about it too. She really doesn't understand why Marilyn want, doesn't want to go through the change. Even while Marilyn's trying to explain it more to her, it's like nobody, yeah. it's like everybody's so robotic about this. Like, well, every, and like Marilyn's like bleeding out in front of Val and she's like, but like, like this is all going on. But then Val's like, but don't you want to be beautiful? It's like, Jesus Christ. Like, like it isn't like Marilyn's like, you know, the troll living under the bridge, like stealing children and eating it. You know, it's like, I don't know. Like it just, it isn't like you got, um, I don't know. I was, I was, was going to try and name check like an actor that was known for being cast, uh, and type, uh, typecast for roles that is not attractive, but that's also feels mean, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I get what you're saying, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's not, it's, like, it's, it's not like it's like this actress played by Jack Elam. That's what I'll say that. Uh, look him up. <laughs> He's been in the twilight zone. He was at uh well, the real Martian stand up. He had a, uh, he had a very distinct uh, wandering eye. So it isn't like this is Jack Elam. Yeah. I was going to go with Mickey Rooney, but I... <laughs> <laughs> like now versus like, like pre plastic surgery, Mickey Rooney or like the wrestler Mickey Rooney. I, uh, the well, the actor, yeah, but, right? Oh, Mickey Rooney. I'm sorry, I was, I was thinking Mickey Rourke. I'm sorry, god damn <laughs> Mickey Rourke. Whoa, whoa, like, I'm sorry, <laughs> no, Mickey Rooney. Yeah, it's like, hey, wouldn't you want to go through this process where you're like, you know, um, tall? <laughs> I'm sorry, I got my Mickey's mixed up. That's on me. Uh, so yeah, and then so we're moving on into the next scene where we see Marilyn and Lana are at the doctor's office now. Which I have to say that this doctor, like, I know he's trying to create a different role, like this other aspect of portraying a different character. The pinky thing pissed me off. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. So to describe to our audience. So, yeah. So you're saying um, Richard Long is also playing. He played Uncle Rick. He's playing Dr. Rex now. It's also yeah. another Model 17. Yeah. So he's back as Dr. Rex. And he has to, again, like, like you were talking about before, create almost like this different approach to the character, not changing his voice, not any of that stuff. He has to hold out his pinkies when he's doing anything. He holds his pink up to his mouth. He points to a certain location with his pinky. It was so dumb. I'm like, we could have done something 
better than the pinky thing. I don't know. A nervous tick, something. I, I, just, I, I feel like his, his delivery of his lines here were different than when he was Uncle Rick, though. I feel like he was. there's a little bit more, um, like, I don't know. Like he, uh, Credit to him, the three major characters he plays are, like, I feel like they're different people. The pinky thing, which um, you can draw a line between that and Dr. Evil. You could definitely tell Mike Myers saw the pinky and was like, I'm going to use that. Um, but yeah, it's great because it's like, it's just like, I'm different. Here's my pinky. And then also like, I just, I also like that he, um, he's very presumptive, whatever Lana brings Marilyn in. And it's like, he believes the situation is, is that she's 18, not quite 19. And and she wants the transformation early. So he goes into this whole thing about like, yeah, I get it. You know, your daughter thinks that like, she's like a sack of burning dog shit when she looks in the mirror or whatever. He doesn't say that. (laughs) And it's like, I know that she makes babies cry when she's in the room and whatever. And then, and Lana's like, no, 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 no. Um, she wants to stay that way. He's like, she does. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like he says the phrase of like, every time she looks in the mirror, she thinks she's a monster. And I just want to, I want to Marilyn and be like, wait a second. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, I don't like, I want, I want her to be like, what is so bad about me? Like, but yeah, like he, he goes the wrong direction about why she was pulled into the office. I love that line delivery. And uh, he just goes on to this list (laughs) and and, like (laughs) just seeing Marilyn's face, like, uh, you could see when she was like, ah, oh, damn, he doesn't know yet. Like, um, but yeah, so he's like, well, I don't get that. Like, what's the point of wanting to be you? Essentially, that's what he's saying here. Yeah, uh, he is articulate. I, I, I guess you were right. Like his line delivery is a little bit different. Well, because Uncle but- Rick was warm, but not completely understanding. But you could, you could get a sense of caring. Here, I'm not saying Doctor Rex is necessarily evil. Doctor Evil Rex. Uh, but he is definitely confident in what he believes is the problem. And then even the bit where he runs like, I don't know, the, the beep boop machine where he puts the solid bowl on Maryland's head to run some tests, which by the way, that's the same prop that was used in still Valley to like erase the, the memory of the main character. Um, when he was like running the, the tests, he winks at Lana and Lana just kind of does like the demure smile. Like you get a lot of Rex's personality in this scene. Yeah, and you know the test is done. We get the the the, the readout, and he, I like how he goes into this little bit of like background for Lana to like, ah, your husband, he's dead, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean now that when we get to later about like the marital status of everybody in this world, I guess it they, I guess it makes more sense for how like flippant they are. But just hearing that, and like later on when Val says something about Marilyn's father, it's just like. Is is this where we're at now? It is, it is just it's just very abrupt. Yeah, it. I, I love some of that stuff that goes on later. We'll find out more about that. But yeah, so like he's being, I don't know, a little, a little weird, planting planting some seeds. No, no puns intended there. But like trying to get the get the ball rolling. No puns intended. Um, <laughs> but but like yeah. So he we find out that through the test result, there's nothing wrong with Marilyn. Um, he just still doesn't understand what's going on with her. So he wants to do more research into why she wants to stay the same. Well, cause he even says, he's like, um, you know, like your, your mental capacities, there, social interactions there. He's like, and then, but she, so Marilyn's like, but nobody is forced to take the transformation. He was like, that's correct. 
He's like, but we need to figure out why you don't want it and then make the necessary adjustments. And I'm like, Oh Jesus Christ. That is like, like, like that's instant smile being shoved in your face of like, no, 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 no. Like we got to figure out like, uh, you know, like it's, it's okay that you don't want it, but then we're going to figure out why you don't want it and then correct that to where you'll then want it and then do it anyway. And that's when we get the commercial break. And it, that is very ominous. And the local Maryland's face um, is just like, it, it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. Like you can do whatever you want, but as long as it's done, just how we say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like-, like what was it? Henry Ford. They said, uh, you can have a model team, any color, as long as it's black, you know, type of thing, you know, like, yep, here we go. This is where we're going to go. This is like, the, this is what's happening. You know, you can either, either make it, um, what was it? Uh, you can just, you can make it easy by going along with it or make it hard. And then we'll just force you to do it. It's kind of what you get out of this. And uh, so, yeah, so the next scene here, we get uh, Dr. Rex taking Marilyn to a, a random room. Like, there's nothing, there's no signs on the doors or anything, just on every person. So um, we get her going into this rando office, and it's very dark lit. And we see that there's a dude behind the desk um, with his back turned to her. And in, like, kind of a, a janky German <laughs> accent. <laughs> Um, I, th- I thought the accent was okay, but the shadows in this room are amazing. Like I, I really, I just, it, it, for, for what they're trying to do and make it like off putting and weird and having a very sparse room with a glass tabletop and just making it very ominous. I thought I, I really liked the shadows in this room. Yeah. It, it, I liked how it, it looked in there. It was just, it was strange in how the, uh, the shadows, were played so darkly upon his face that you couldn't really see his eyes even like, because you weren't supposed to see what he was to begin with. Right. To kind of, you know, to leave a little bit of mystery, which I want to pull back for a second. That hallway is the same hallway from the long morrow. Um, that same hallway set. Uh, I just wrote my notes here. It's like nothing good's come out of that hallway. So like, anyway, um, so yeah, I just, when we find out that, um, that Dr. Sigmund friend, which I just, I love that name cause it's so dumb is also a 17. Yep. Looks exactly like uncle Rick looks exactly like, uh, Dr. Rex. Yeah. So, yep. So, but he has a German accent and no, pinky gigantic, stuff, no pinky stuff, no pinky stuff though. Just German accent, no pinky stuff, no pinky stuff, but a giant chain. Like he looks like the dude from public enemy. <laughs> yeah. He's flavor Flav. He's <laughs> flavorless Flav. Cause you know, he's this, uh, I, I just, he's just, you know, the, the same stock white guy we've seen this entire time with this big chain. Because um, if you notice, like, there's no other males, like, actors in this episode. They're all him, right? Like, why is he the default setting? Why is he the default male in this video game? I, I don't know why. Like, that... They could have had somebody else. Like, where where was the who, who's the one actor that they we've had in like so many different Robert episodes? Robert McCord. Why could Robert McCord be in this episode? <laughs> like, I also like I was like I was like, what model number is Rod Serling here? Because we see him for a second. Like, where where what's his body number? Dude, that would have been hilarious if it was it was Rod's voice, but it was still it was oh, still uh, oh Robert. Oh my gosh, that would have uh, been Robert amazing. If they, that would have been the greatest double fake in this whole thing, where it would have just been would have been uh, you know Richard Long standing in place of Serling. Oh my god, they could have done that. That would that would have been, been the best. That w- right, that was a fail. That was a fail <laughs> on the the production. <laughs> 
Yeah, oh, they had yeah. they had all the parts that could have made it happen. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and they, they could have put a name tag on the front and said Rod. That would have been amazing. <laughs> Dude, that would have been so good. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, we have uh, the professor. Uh, he is he's trying to understand uh, why Maryland doesn't want to go through the change, and, and he says like, this is a necessary thing these days. Like everybody's supposed to go through the change. You know, the, the world has been rid of so many different uh, problems because we're able to do the change now. I like how he says, like, like uh, we've eliminated, like, injustice. And he says, like, ugliness. You know, like, he pretty yeah. much just says, like, ugliness is a, like, a, a, like a cancer of the world. And I'm glad we were able to get rid of it because well, now we don't have any problems. His thought process is that if everybody looks like similar, then people can't judge each other based upon that. But then we earlier in the episode we know that's a lie when Lana, you know, like talks down to herself that that's the maid, right? There's still the social division, and there's also the division of people that resist this transformation. So he is he's basically like doing like the state propaganda of like, we've, we've eliminated a lot of this, which I also want to point out, maybe this is 64, but uh, of all the people that we see in this, of all the different model numbers, um, we don't see anybody of color here. Like it's kind of implied, like it's never stated. We just see uh, various white people, which that having Dr. Sigmund friend talk about like how society has gotten better with a German accent, um, with this is just, it is everything about this is uncomfortable. Yeah. The, I, I see where you're going. Like maybe the implications are um, skewed maybe into like, uh, the third Reich kind of idea. Like, uh, Dennis know, Hopper's like character race. from season four would be okay with this. That's what we're saying. That's all I'm saying. You know? So, um, but yeah, like the, the prize at the bottom of the cereal box to this, uh, this change is also that you can prolong life. It's like now we, now we understand that there's some, like another selling point that we can give to Marilyn. Um, and she's like, well, wait a minute. If, if we have that ability, why can't I just look the same and you guys can just do whatever you need to do and I can still have a, a prolonged life as well as like, he just like he laughs at her pretty yeah. much. It's like, ah, yeah, right. You looking like that for even longer? Get out of here! Like, that's essentially what this dude says. Like, He's we like, don't we're, want. We're gonna drop a Corvette engine to a Pinto body. Get out of here! What? what get out of here! You know? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it, it. He straight up says, like, we we can't. We well, he doesn't straight up says, but it's like the again implies why would we want to keep an ugly person around even longer? <laughs> like that just, I'm laughing. Cause it's terrible. That's why I'm it laughing. It is terrible. It's, it's terrible. Like, it, but it's like, it's so, it's so ludicrous too. Yeah. Like that's, I think that's the laughing point. It's like, who the hell would want this? Like what kind of society? And it's like, but there is like, there's still this, 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 uh, hierarchy of like this, uh, like this hive mind rather where people are like, if we just got rid of people that were not useful, then we could be all important and not have any problems. That's what we're getting out of this. Like this, this new utopia is going to be bred on the idea that we're all going to be the same and we're going to be, we're going to be a superpower now. 
I'm going to live longer lives too. Well, that, but it's like, I mean, to, to, you know, fast forward to the year of 2021, you know, an approximation of 2021, um, doesn't like all the social influencers, doesn't that, isn't that what this feels like where it's like, I'm beautiful and fabulous. You could be like me if you try hard enough. Isn't that kind of where we're at now? Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's an idea that's always influenced in futuristic films. I mean, like, Take Blade Runner, for example. I mean, that movie's so stark and bleak in its, its approach, and but all the advertisement around it is of beautiful people. And like, if you could only do the things that they do, then you would only, you would finally be happy. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of things that we could like, like pull out of this, right? So, um, so Marilyn's like asks, uh, Dr. Sig, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Sig Hale. Uh, sorry, that's not his name. Uh, asks him if he's read Shakespeare, and he's like, "Who?" <laughs> like, I like that. And so then we find out that like uh, Marilyn's father actually g- gave her a number of books to read, and she mentions a lot of different authors. Uh, one of them that she mentions specifically is Shelley. I don't know yeah. if you picked up on that or okay, you did. Um, you know, because Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, right? Which is you know taking pieces, parts, and making making life, right? I think it was important. I also kind of wish that Marilyn would have been like, did you read Serling? I would have been, that would have been great. Or Beaumont, like just toss that out there. That would have been amazing. Uh, but we find out in the year 2000 uh, that these books are banned, which that feels very um, Fahrenheit 451. That also feels very, um, there is that, uh, was it season two episode of The Obsolete Man, um, where it's a lot of the, like, you know, you can't, you're allowed to think whatever you want, as long as it's the things that we want you to think about. I feel like there's a lot of this here. And, and it is kind of, a, it shows a lot more brainwashing too. And especially it, it, again, it plays back into the, the Nazism idea where it's like books were being burned. The freedom of uh, thought was being taken away and you can't, you're not supposed to learn anything outside of what it's been giving to you. Yeah. So then, you know, she protests and then he, uh, he just puts her into like, uh, like I, like it's, it's like a, um, it's supposed to be like a hospital room, but it feels like a holding cell type of thing. And then that's when Marilyn gets, uh, visited by Alana, her mother and Val, her friend. So a 12 and an eight, right. They come to visit her. And did you notice like on the pajamas, which I mean, it's clearly pointed out that she has a number eight, silhouette pinned to her pajamas like never at all was it ever said in the episode that Marilyn made a decision about the model or whatever you want to call it the the type that she was supposed to pick for her transformation yeah which makes me think there was other moving parts in the background too like I feel that Lana still has something to do with it considering the fact that in our opening scene they were trying to uh, decide between the eight or the 12, which makes it feel like Lana also feels that the 12 is better than the eight. So she, she wants her daughter to join her, but not outshine her. That's fair. That's very fair. I mean, she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to look, to look like the help and her daughter, you know? Yeah. So then, um, we find out and then, so, so, um, uh, Dr. Rex is in the room for a second. It's like, I gave her a sedative or whatever. And my pinky's going into my mouth. Weirdly, whatever. Uh, Lana leaves Val asks to stick around for a second. And this is what we also, one of the, 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 the hardest things I've ever heard, like hard as in like, you're saying this out loud, a like conversation between best friends we get, or at least childhood friends. 
At one point, though, um, Marilyn does say, without ugliness, how can there be beauty? Because her father said that to her. And now we learn that um, Marilyn admits that her dad didn't die during a conflict. Her dad killed himself after the transformation. And so then Val is like, oh, why are you hung up on your dad? You know, you've, you've had a lot of dads. Like, I know your mom's been married, like, what was it, um, like, nine times or whatever yeah. because of the extended lifelines. And then I know Val was like, I've had like 11 dads, like, Holy shit. What is going on there? And, and, and it, uh, her other line here pissed me off. too. was like, how could someone want to stay with the same person for a hundred years? I'm like, what the hell? Like, I mean, no one's ever heard of love in this society, I guess. Yeah. It was weird. It was like this whole, like, you know, orgy of same faces, right? Like it's just all, it's all Richard long, right? It's all, it's, it's dicks all the way down anyway. So, um, yeah, it was just weird. It was just one of those things where it just gives another shade of the society. And so then Val can't understand why Marilyn's upset about everything going on and also the loss of her biological father. And then, so then, uh, she breaks down, Marilyn breaks down was like, she figures out that, after the transformation, people are not capable of like sympathy. They're not capable of understanding difference. And so she's, she is broken. And, um, as much as I've said this before about the twilight zone, about some of the things resonating louder now, um, like this is an important then, and it's a very important statement. I feel like we as a society have begun to understand a lot more that, like people can live and function. That does not mean they're okay. Um, you know, we, like, I think we all understand Marilyn's plight probably better because we're able to say it out loud now than people in 64 that probably had to keep it inside. That's a very good point. I, I, I think there is some uh, mirroring to what's going on in the everyday uh, life. I mean, not, nothing's changed. Like, I mean, this is 1964 there are people that are still struggling with not being able to fit in and not being like the beautiful people. But like this, you know, she's, she's breaking down, she's crying and she says, they don't understand. Like they just don't understand. And Marilyn or uh, Val, she doesn't seem to know how to handle all of this. Like she doesn't seem to know how to handle uh, this emotion i guess and just does the homer simpson into the bush like fades <laughs> yeah. out of there yeah because i mean she's mentioned that now she went through the transformation everything's great and wonderful right so it's almost like uh, an emotional lobotomy right in a lot of ways right so so marilyn feels the feels she's you know living you know like just raw as all get out so she tries to escape her, um, her hospital room or whatever it is, uh, NASA, right. Cause she runs in the hallway that we saw from the long morrow. And then she's trying to escape. Like she ends up, it's like, it's, it's, it's the convenient TV thing of like backing into the wrong door. And then suddenly Dr. Rex there. It's like, Oh, I'm glad that you're ready for the surgery. She's like, no, I just went into the wrong room. This could have been a broom closet, not a transformation center. And then, um, yeah. And then they find her number eight, uh, that was pinned to her. And, uh, they, they go through the transformation and again, like she is upset and I'm like, I'll give you, I'll give you the ending because goddamn this ending. All right. So our ending, 
is we it fades out of the her being placed onto the table and everything to go through the chain. So we when we fade back in, um, we see that uh, Val and uh, Lana are waiting to see uh, if you know Marilyn's come out yet, and they're talking to Doctor Rex. So it's like, oh, you know, it's like she'll be out in a moment, and you hear her voice, and she walks in. And she has the exact same look. Like she looks exactly the same as Val. The only difference is it says Marilyn on her shirt and instead. And she has a, a giant grin on her face. And she says that she feels terrific. And she goes over to a full length mirror looking at herself, kind of adoring herself. And you can see Lana and Val in the mirror as well, but in the background, just kind of also appreciating the fact that she went through the change and now, now we can move on. We can move past this moment. And in that instant that, uh, Rod is giving us our outro, she turns and breaks the fourth wall and, uh, stares into the, the screen and smiles. Yeah. Like one credit to the split screen that we were able to pull off with that mirror. That's great. And two, that ending is just like, it is, it is some black mirror level garbage where it just hurts. It just hurts. It's a, it's a sledgehammer. God damn. Yeah. I like that. They, they made her break the fourth wall and look in, look at the viewer essentially and say like, yep, it, it had happened no matter what. And you know, they got, they got me. Yeah. And she's, but it's like, it's like, you almost wish you could hear the inner workings of her brain. Like, this like there's like this caged animal inside of her just like no let me back out like let let me be me again so no it's like you almost wonder like um like it, it that would have been interesting to hear um like her thought process but oh man like i think just leaving it where like or maybe like a single tear where it's like yeah. you could tell like yes. you know like yeah just Holy crap. Like, so, um, yeah, the, the second time through watching this is when everything kind of clicked in place for me. Not that this wasn't like a, a devastating episode the first time around, but like, once you know the ending and you start kind of feeling out the corners of it, it gets way worse. And I'm, I'm paying that a compliment to the storytelling, right? Like it is, this is, um, <sighs> This is a devastating episode. And I mentioned how the long morrow felt like a season one episode. This one does too, where it does not pull a punch and it leaves you kind of broken and you're done, which is a thing they have, um, that, um, the powers that be at CBS were kind of trying to get away from because they wanted people to like, you know, have more happy endings because of the viewer feedback. Um, I'm glad. I mean, William Frog as a producer has been kind of terrible. Like some of the things that he's like greenlit, including, you know, 90 years without slumber. But I feel like, um, you know, even his hand couldn't mess this up. Like it is, th this is what I'm going to think about for a while. Yeah. Big ups to our writers on this, Mr. Balmont and, uh, Tom Allen. Yeah, uh, I think it, it was, uh, it was, there was some little goofy things that happened in it, but the storytelling is just, it's great. It's incredible. And I think that there's a lot to take away from this, especially as you were making the, uh, the comments earlier, like nothing really has changed. It's about the, it's about control. It's about people wanting to be just like everybody else. Like it, like these are still narratives at work. 
Well, it's like, um, oh, there was a, a stupid little silly song I heard once. It was like what, like a like a, a snick at night. It's like not 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 Nick at night. It was one of those Nickelodeon shows, like one of like all that or something, like one of the the um, the sketch shows where they yeah. sang a song that said, "I want to be a rebel like everybody else." That's what this kind of feels like, where it's like, I want to be different, just like everybody. Um, so that always kind of rings true. Uh, was it, uh, actually, I looked this up. Um, uh, Charlie Brooker, uh, the guy who was the main creator behind uh, Black Mirror, the main, like, the main writer, the second episode of the first season called 15 Million Merits, um, he kind of based some of the, the social placements in that episode upon this one, which I don't know if you saw that one or not. It was the one with uh, people riding like the um, stationary bikes and they wanted to be like on basically like um, they were doing their day job of just working on these stationary bikes and they wanted to do like uh, like American Idol to try to break through. I don't know. I'm, I'm not doing a good job of the episode. It was the second one of the first series. I have not yet. I, that's something that I still have to like dive headfirst into. And I think I'm just gonna, uh, you know, call off work for a week because well, <laughs> call off work because I'm week. probably I'm gonna be you're, heartbroken. You're gonna and call, like, wo- you know, call off work for a week, watch all Black Mirror, and then call off work for a second week, and then cry a lot. <laughs> That's what's yeah, to recover from it. Um, yeah, like my soul is broken. Is that okay? I don't. I'm not gonna have a doctor's note for it. Yeah, this. like and then now thinking about this further, a lot of like the presentation of the people who went through the transformation, and I mentioned social media influencers. That's tr- kind of true, but it also feels like the all these people are Facebook life, where it's like nothing bad ever happens. Look at these brownies I made. Look at this great thing. Look at how good we are. Look at my cats. You know, which by the way, you should look at my cats. They're amazing. But I. Everybody always puts their best lives out there and doesn't really get into the real because when you get into the real problems that you're having, then it's like things get real icky and and people don't know how to deal with it. So this feels like social media presentation in physical form. And that is even more scary to me. Yeah. And that, that is a, that is one of the things that you really can make that drastic comparison to is social media and how, like you say, like people have this ability to make you feel so rotten about being yourself and you, there's not really a way to get out of it sometimes. Like you could also play the same game of being, you know, uh, you know, happy go lucky all the time, but sometimes it's a forced smile and you, you, you know, you're, you're stuck in your, your own ways and you can't get out of your own life. Yeah. I, that, I don't know how better to say that because yeah. it's just like, there's no real there's no happy way to make the connections here. Like this is a, this is a downer of an episode really. Yeah. Which I mean, it is right. But it's like also like you, you see like Marilyn is not wanting to be part of the group, but then right now in this day and age, you see like whatever the trends are and people want to chase it and the things, right? Like, um, I I know (laughs) this is going to sound real petty, but Hey, like we're talking about number 12 looks like just like you, like, I know what was like the past, like five, six years. It's like, uh, there's been this big push for like, you know, uh, burly men and like beard and beard maintenance and all this stuff. And I'm just like, really is facial hair a personality trait? Is that where we're at now? That's what it feels like. I have a beard, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but Terry, 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 I like you as a person before you went through the transformation of having a beard, you know, just let you know. <laughs> but do you understand, like you have, you have facial hair. Fine. My dad had facial hair. I get it. But I feel like there's a lot of people that like, you see things. It's like, oh, so you could grow hair on your face. 
that is, that's a substitute for personality and uh, okay, great. Congratulations. That feels weird to me. No, there is, there is a lot of things that are becoming a little bit more in the, the limelight where it's like, wow, look at that guy. He looks like he's got swagger and it's just a bearded dude who is wearing flannel and that's like the, <laughs> and Doc Martens. That's like, Doc I don't know. Martins. It's just like, I, I only watch, uh, you know, uh, I only drink craft beer and only, uh, locally produced TV shows. I can't possibly enjoy that mainstream media that you're all into. Uh, grass fed, gra- grass fed TV, grass fed TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> It's like my TV is outside. You guys, it just blow your mind. Anyways. Free range TV. <laughs> my my TV is the park that I go out and walk around and see people. It's that's the reality show. Anyway, sorry. Anyway. This is definitely one of those scenarios where um, Rods and and the production company saw a good story here, and it's definitely thumbing its nose at um, society and like this uh, this clout of. Well, it, everybody it, has to be cool. It's shoving a mirror, like literally, I mean, the ending is a mirror, right? It's shoving a mirror in your face of like, this is happening. Like, this is what's going to happen. And it's like, it's been going on. It's not going to change, but be aware, right? That's why I say like, uh, um, you know, I, the beholder is a wonderful uh, companion piece to this. Cause it's like, these are the same story, but taken different directions. And that, I think that's also a good, a good sign of, great twilight zone where like sometimes you can hit the same theme and then run in like separate, uh, separate directions and still come away with something of meaning. Um, I, I, um, you know, we still got a way to go here We're the next episode is going to be the halfway point of the season. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. This one's, this one's going to stick around with me and I like that. It gives a lot to chew on. It's a little weird. Um, I like this kind of future weird stuff. I, I know I'm a sucker for it, but that and the the performances, the construct of this, and also like the ending, you know, my goodness, like this is the the if people say there's not much in season five, I would I you know I, I would disagree. This is we found some gold in the hills. I don't I've not heard people talk about this episode that much in terms of like when you talk about like best Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah, it's been highly rated on certain sites that I've seen. Uh, it's okay. got an eight point three on uh, IMDb. So there are people that really dig this episode. Um, and I, you know, it is twilight zone. And man, it is like, it is true. When you explain what the twilight zone is, this, I think this is the kind of conversation should come up too. Oh like, yeah. This is the one I'd be like, let me show you this. Do not watch uncle Simon. Let, let, we'll just watch this one. It's fine. Anyway. So, um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, this is great. So let's just, um, let's get to the twist and then we'll get into, uh, some trivia. Right. so, uh, let's rate that twist. Uh, that this episode will call it shot early of like Marilyn doesn't want to go through with this. And then she does and becomes like everybody else. Um, I'm going to give it a five because I wasn't expecting the darkness at the end of this episode. Okay. Well, I, I'll, I'm going to have to give it more of like a two. Uh, I was not all too surprised that they finally would have nabbed her up and made her change. I mean, it's, it's kind of like it, it coincides with like invasion of the body snatchers and that that's fair. Uh, maybe my judgment has been clouded a little bit by those kinds of storylines that I could see this one coming, but that didn't, that doesn't take away from the overall storyline that 
again, you know, like when we do the twist, we always have to make sure that people know that that's not really mirroring what we think of the show, the episode, and it's uh, like if we liked it or not. This is only on the twist, and I'm going to give it a two. It okay. didn't really catch me off guard. That's fair. I, I just I, I feel like I've been burned multiple times. Like this is uh, Charlie Brown and Lucy in the football, where it's like, are they going to go dark? Oh, they're not going to go dark. You know, yeah, right. like that's, you know, it's going to be one of these. It's going to be. It's going to be one of those where it's like, ah, it's Adam and Eve. I don't like, who cares? You know, type of <laughs> ending, you know, this one was like, she fought like all out. Right. And even, even I, the beholder as dark as that episode is, uh, Ellie may ends up going to a, like they take her away to a, um, community of other, other ugly people, AKA the most gorgeous people in the world to go live their lives. That society doesn't like, like say, well, all right, this didn't work. I guess we're going to kill you now. Not that, not that this society says this, but like just at least that one was like, Oh, she'll learn to like all the non ugly people here. It's like, Nope, Marilyn, we get the notion that like she went to transformation and she's gotten the emotional lobotomy. And that is way darker to me. And I did not see that coming. Yeah. I mean, it's fair. It's a, yeah, it, it was, it was an interesting twist to everything, but, uh, okay. Yeah, not too uh, far out of the I get it. Uh, I get it. You're, you're, you're just more judgmental, like the society of people that want beautiful people all the time. I get it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So yeah, let's get into some trivia here real quick and then we'll be out the door. Uh, so, all right. So I mentioned already the episode, the, the, the uh, hallways sets were from the long morrow. Um, and then let's see here. What else, like, and then I also mentioned, uh, the quote from, uh, frog about, uh, Susie Parker, which like he said, she wasn't a good actress. I thought she was great in this. I thought as Lana, she was really good. I don't know where he's coming from. I thought that was kind of garbage. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I didn't see that at all. I think everybody was uh, well served in this episode. Yeah. So some, uh, information about, uh, Tomerlin. And his interaction with um, with Beaumont here. Let's see here. Where where am I going first? Here I have I, I have my three books that I use for my references. Um, I'm going to use all three of them this evening. So everybody, you know, uh, tuck in. So let's see here. Um, he, here's what Tomlin says about his relationship with uh, Beaumont, uh, Charles Beaumont. Uh, Chuck Beaumont and I first met when, uh, when he was beginning. Um, about two years later, he got going so fast that he would accept more assignments than he could do. He was very prolific and he was always uh, saying yes, because he spent, um, most of the, most of his time as most beginning writers do having people say no, when he got overburdened, he'd usually, uh, reach out to, um, was it Bill Nelson or me to do a dr- stuff for him? Uh, usually articles for magazines. So, uh, Tomerlin had a working uh, relationship with, uh, Beaumont. So Beaumont would say yes to everything and be like, I can't possibly pull, pull this off. So he'd be like, Hey, you want to get paid? And Tomlin's like, hell yeah, I do. So that, that's great. So at least credit to Beaumont that he had a, a, um, group of people available. Right. So that's nice. Continuing on uh, another quote from, uh, Tomerlin. Let's see here. Where do I have it at? Uh, all right. Um, all right. So, uh, by 63, uh, uh Beaumont was, uh, still able to sell stories, but he was neither, con- uh, convincing, sorry, let me go back by 63. He was still able to sell stories, but he was neither conceiving or nor writing them. 
The short story, of course, was his, but I wrote the script entirely myself. I wrote it in New York, as a matter of fact, consulting with him on the phone as to deadlines and things of that sort. He just called and said he had an assignment. I asked if I would do it. I, so I said, sure. Um, I needed the money and was delayed to do it. So when this was like, you know, happening, you know, Bowman already was like, yeah, we're going to do this. And then Tomberlin came in and wrote the teleplay, right? So with that being said, last quote here. Um, Tomlin admitted, I never saw number 12 looks just like you. I, I have to, exp- let me explain. Uh, if it had come on while I was watching, I would have watched it. It was for me associated with such a painful experience in my mind. Uh, there was a purity of Chuck's story of our many collaborations of our lives together that I didn't want to see anybody else uh, tamper with it. Even Rod Serling as good as he was. I never wanted to write television. Television killed my darling, which was radio, and I haven't uh, quite forgiven it. So I think those three quotes about Tomlin talking about his relationship with Beaumont and also his relationship with this episode are very telling. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting look into uh, into those uh, experiences that he had. And that, that is kind of sad, too, that like what he's talking about radio and how TV killed well, TV killed the radio star. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, the Bungles had it right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know Tomlin's background with radio, but clearly he well, had chip on his shoulder, right, for it. So, But he also associates it with a painful experience because I'm sure since, uh, you know, Beaumont was giving him, like, article work for a while. Because, like, like, when he talked about, like, Beaumont blowing up, he's not wrong because Beaumont was, like, he kind of came out and was like, you know, like, well, he's like, he was a weird writer, right? Like some of his ideas were far out there. And then the moment he caught fire, I can't blame the man for saying yes to everything because it's like, all right, let's just do it. Right. So then, um, his, his presence kind of, I should say his, um, yeah, his presence was larger than his output, but people knew Beaumont could deliver. So that's why he'd reach out to other people. Like the gentleman cannot remember their, their name off the top of my head that, that wrote um, the new exhibit, but like Beaumont had all these people in his pocket of like, yeah, um, I've already sold this. Can we write it? And this person's like, I want money. Yes. So Beaumont, even though his physical state was collapsing, his mental state was collapsing, had the wherewithal to be like, I can get people paid and I can cover like stuff for my family. Let's just get this done. I can respect that. But, um, I don't know. I know we talked about a little bit, um, with the passage of lady Anne, which was from season four. Uh, that was a Beaumont script, but kinda, I think we talked about that more than, um, this might be the last, well, actually I take that back. I think there's one more Beaumont script coming that he didn't write. Um, cause we know he, at this point in time of, of the production, he's withered away and dying and that's terrible. But as you said, Beaumont having his name associated with every single season of the twilight zone is very important. And also the fact that he wrote the short story, you can't discount this. Um, I just, you know, the fact that he wasn't quite honest about the actual teleplay, I can't blame him because he delivered people got paid. I'm, I'm glad that he was giving um, that 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 ability to those people to be involved and maybe make a name for themselves. Yeah. So so yeah, that's where we're at. So that's going to do it. Uh, do you have any other notes about uh, number twelve? Looks just like you. No, I, I, I the one thing that you did mention though that it was based on the short story, the, the beautiful people. 
which first appeared in September of uh, 52, an issue of science fiction magazine uh, called If. So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to track that down. I really want to see what the first iteration of this was. Yeah, and, and Beaumont, like, they, there's actually a number of his uh, short story collections available, uh, and I think I mean. <laughs> I, you know, here's my admission. I've not read them, um, but I, I've heard they're quite wonderful. Like I, I've read a lot of Matheson short fiction. Actually, I take that back. I've read some Math Matheson short fiction, not a lot of Beaumont. There's a lot of Beaumont out there to be had to dig into. So if people are interested, please, 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 please do it. Um, this episode was, this is the cure for what ails us. Not that we didn't have a great talk last week about the self-improvement of Salvador Ross, which I think was a fine episode. Um, it's just that every so often you need that, um, you need that moment that come to Jesus moment of the power of the twilight zone. I think this is one of those episodes and I did not expect it. And it, um, it just reinvigorates me for, for what's coming down the line. Yeah. This is one of the, the, the like, if you're talking to people, you, you describe this, this is what twilight zone is built on. This is why people have looked at the twilight zone as being such an impactful, um, story piece for, for TV, for like to get stories out to people, to make them think, to make them really try to experience something that is not only science fiction, but like good storytelling, good, like to make you really, um, look into the darker corners of maybe the human mind too. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, before we're out the door here, um, actually let's, uh, let's, we are done the twist. Uh, yeah, you guys can find us on uh, Facebook, uh, it's strange highways, uh, a podcast there. Um, I'm posting photos, uh, you know, pretty much daily. Um, we're, uh, always trying to be snarky there. It's a lot of fun. You guys can email us directly at strange highways, podcast, gmail.com. And again, thank you to everybody. that's recently been liking the page and, uh, interacting. That's been wonderful. Um, wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us and Terry, how can people find us otherwise? So, uh, check us out on Instagram. Uh, we are trying to post on there as often as possible. I'm going to bring up new uh, new little features, um, make the get people a little bit more, um, you know, to integrate their thoughts into what we have on the show. Maybe have some polls on our Facebook. Maybe have some polls on Instagram. Can, can you do a poll of number twelve or number eight? Can you have people like like pick one? I yeah maybe I don't know. <laughs> It'll be me with a beard and me without a beard. No. <laughs> <laughs> That, okay, fine. I mean, if, if, if a default setting is Terry, then I sign me up. I'll take transformation. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but please, please check us out on there. Give us a follow. I'll give us a like, uh, it's a strange highways podcast on Instagram. Check us out there. Yeah, and also I know you got us on Spotify. So if you guys prefer that streaming service, we're there as well. So, uh, next episode, after all this goodwill, we've been talking about this next episode is called black leather jackets. Uh, we'll let Serling tease it and you'll know why I'm like, and now, Mr. Serling. Earl Hamner Jr. brings his typewriter and his fertile mind back into the Twilight Zone next time with a program about visitors. On the surface, they're beatniks. A few raunchy-looking characters on motorcycles draw into town one day. But once you meet them, you won't forget them. They're quite different from what they appear. On the Twilight Zone, Lee Consolving, Shelley Fabre, and Michael Forrest star in Black Leather Jackets. Hamner! Like, I just... I, I almost started laughing, laughing because I'm like, I know what you're alluding to, and it's like the first thing that Rod says is, 
Earl Hamner Jr. I was oh. like, ah. <laughs> right. He's but, back. Yeah, He's but we, coming back. We get uh, uh, Shelly Fabre. We'll talk about her. That'll be great. Um, if you don't know who she is, you'll know who she is when we talk about her when we get there. But yeah, next episode's Black Leather Jackets. Uh, it's a Hamner episode. You know, I mean, it has to be better than Ring of Ding Girl, right? It has to be better than that. It's got raunchy bikers, so maybe. Why couldn't the episode be called Raunchy Bikers? That would have been better. All right. Anyway, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, have a good week. Have a safe week. Um, and uh, I don't know. Um, if you don't want to get transformation, don't take it. But just just for the love of God, if you do take transformation, don't do weird pinky things. Choose your uh, style wisely. is a glass of instant smile.